and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Isn't that absolutely amazing? So awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Um, when Jenny spoke last week, she used the term Jesus first, others second, me last. Did that resonate with anybody from their history? <clears throat> well, it certainly really res- resonated with me as to how much of a problem message this actually was. As someone who grew up in the church, giving your life for the cause was celebrated and even considered a virtue. The act of self-sacrifice was the ultimate gift. Now, interestingly, the process of the deconstruction of this narrative in which a gospel of the kingdom within was taught, whilst it should have been liberating in theory, actually created a twofold consequence. One was, people have to have something to serve, so to speak. The kingdom within isn't concrete enough, and the removal of this ast has left them feeling lost with no identity or purpose. The other side of it is, the more freedom and care for oneself was promoted and encouraged, some no longer felt their presence was required, as now it's me first, others second, Jesus last. They are subsequently at at liberty to make autonomous decisions that lead to the separation and disbanding of the group. Over the last 10 years, I would say, and particularly the last two, I have found myself feeling and seeing so much of what I have spent the last 17 years deconstructing, being prevalent in so many other areas of life. I have found this a real struggle, in all honesty, because I sometimes get to the stage where I bash my head against the wall and think, oh my goodness, not this again. Throughout history, institutions have been formed and in turn established dogmas to deal with the problems that they see as the common enemy, i.e., and for example, in the church, it was original sin, rid the world of sin via conversion. Humanity is portrayed as something inherently flawed and a problem to be resolved. Many, if not all of these institutions, came into existence for people gravitating to that which brings order to chaos. In a world where one is on a quest for meaning, people can look for the group that most represents them, the enemy they are against, and the conversions they are aiming to achieve. These groups often exist on dogmas that require unrelenting service and sacrifice to the creed. The individual finds security in the collective. One of the most common statements you hear within these said institutions is, it's for the greater good. Anyone who has studied history will know this statement comes with immense consequences. 
It is a logical fallacy in that that which is the greater good can never be quantified because no one human being thinks or feels the same. What I found interesting about this over the years, the greater good of religion, or let's say the church, I don't like using the word religion because religion really exists everywhere, um, but we'll just say the church, was largely discarded and rejected as no longer necessary. All that has happened is new groups have been formed under different labels. I'm going to mention some because Anth mentioned them in the isms talk, but there's many more and you can add to it. BLM, COVID, climate change, etc. They all have a common enemy. They all create a dogma that requires self-sacrifice that will ultimately bring about the greater good. You can label the group whatever you want, but it ultimately leads to the same end. I am aware that so much of what we have learned over the years regarding religion doesn't necessarily stop us from simply finding another group or collective. You may want to ask yourself today, have I simply exchanged that one for this one? The early Christian enlightenment was based on resurrection and joy, only to turn into a theological dogma. The scientific revolution came, priding itself on the organic nature of testing and trying ideas and concepts, only to eventually become scientism, just as the church became evangelicalism. So many can be hoodwinked and fall into the same trap. Those of you who have read Galatians, Paul makes that incredible statement. He says, who has bewitched you? Having freed yourself from this, why have then you gone to this? The children of Israel, another example. You have been freed from this, yet you have returned to this. Now let me clarify at this point. No one is saying that groups are inherently bad. In fact, they can not only be useful, but world-changing. We are also not saying that the groups I mentioned earlier, in and of themselves, are bad. The question is, how does one create a group that exists without dogma and a level of self-sacrifice that actually renders us useless? One must also ask the question, why does one have to sacrifice themselves to achieve the greater good? So many of the groups, if not all, we see formed in society today are as much of an impossible religion as the church was accused of being. I have seen this with my own eyes, particularly over the last two years. If you want some specifics, I'm happy to talk with you later on. When people got saved, it wasn't so much for the love of God or people, for that matter, as it was the eradication of the fear of hell. I recently stumbled across some videos talking about the concept of altruism. It's not a word I have heard much before, but to me, really summed up so much, and I have had really a great time learning it over the last few weeks. There are many who support it as a healthy um, concept and many who believe it to be a force for bad and the enemy of what they call the sovereign individual. So what is altruism? Altruism holds that we don't exist in our own right, but our sacrifice to others is the main justification for our existence. Are there any type twos here today? Okay, there you go. Self-sacrifice is our main moral obligation. See, most dogmatic groups are fueled by altruism in that they favour group identity and sacrifice to the cause over the individual. Sacrifice at whatever cost is considered your moral duty. One of the things that upset the Pharisees and establishment of Jesus' day 
is the promotion of the individual being a manifestation of divinity itself. It was the integral part of his message, literally making that which was human understand how you in your own right can bring order to chaos. It took us right back to Eden. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. So what you may ask is the opposite of an altruist. I would like to call it this, the benevolent individualist. We view individualism as egotistical, arrogant, or even proud. Does anybody remember that? Pride comes before a fall, don't let your head get too big. With little regard for others. But is this really what it means? What it actually means is the belief that every human has innate value and meaning, that we are all unique, rare, and in demand of our individual talents and skills. We have something to share and trade with our fellow neighbor. We love ourselves enough first and then bring this to the group. Now, separatism is a very different concept to the individualist. Separatism says, me as this is different to you as that, and therefore I can't be part of this community. Now, you would argue that separatism is what actually causes collectivism and group identity, because you break off separately and say, I am this, you are that, and then you find those separatists who see eye to eye with your separatism, and ultimately you then end up with group identity, which is why separatism is just as dogmatic as collectivism. Individualism is the moral philosophical stance that emphasizes the intrinsic worth of the individual. The Pharisees hated the fact that Jesus was encouraging the individual to see themselves, get this, as holy. To see themselves as gods in their own right. To see themselves as powerful entities that could create worlds. The power was literally within them and not behind the temple curtain. I love that. The individual is the definition of potential itself. We are our own creators constantly having let there be moments. Now, any of you have read the Enneagram? We've used it a lot. I absolutely love it. And not because I believe it should be held as a dogma, but I do believe it can be useful in understanding how people think and feel. I found it, particularly for myself, immensely useful. Now, get this. I'm a one, which is a reformer, perfectionist. Now, if you had one, the perfectionist, and threes, okay, and I'm using this for a specific reason. Now, they're a bit like chalk and cheese, right? But at the same time, serve each other very, very well, right? If the group holds that three is the dogma, a one is very unlikely to stick around, right? And vice versa, Okay, and you could use that for any Enneagram type. I am this, can't be this, if you are saying that I have to be that. You see how it works, right? <laughs> However, if the group consists, get this, of benevolent individuals, all bringing their skill, talent, and ideas to the pot, you can achieve things beyond your wildest dreams. Let me read something for, from Corinthians to wrap this up. For the body does not consist of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less as part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the members of the body, every one of them according to his design. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, nor can the head say to the feet, I do not need you. But God has composed the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its members should have mutual concern for one another. A bit like what the video just said earlier. God referred to himself as the I am. It was what it was, but at the same time was part of the whole. Just as the Trinity is three separate expressions, they are all still part of the whole. In conclusion, the Lord of the Flies novel tells the story of a group of young boys who find themselves alone on a desert island. They develop rules and a system of organisation. However, the children eventually become violent and brutal. The video we watched prior showed somewhat a very different reality. They looked after each other, got on, and resolved their differences. I believe there is a call for us to confront the individual within us, to recognize its potential, face it, and transform it into the most powerful version of ourselves. Maybe today, just maybe, is your I am moment. Well, I thought that was great. I've enjoyed it immensely so far. A lot of stuff to think about there, what Joel was talking about. And, um, you know, we had a little chat on Wednesday, but you know what it's like. You, you start thinking yourself. So whether I'm going to confuse you entirely now <laughs> is another matter. I'm hoping that I've got something of a, you know, a connecting uh, thing to say. But um, uh, Rumi who uh, is a, a poet and a something -ist. Um, He said these words. He says, you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the ocean in a drop. And those words are really quite fantastic. And I think what I'm going to try and do is uh, sort of talk about how... Oh, it's gone off. Heck, this is not good, is it? This is... Not, oh, ooh, it's, oh, it's come back. Uh, how basically, you know, if we're not careful, like Joel was saying, we can push forward with our individualism uh, or we can be, lose ourselves in the collective, but we've got to try and make them work together. And, and that's always the hardest part of life, isn't it? And uh, I think what happens in this uh, little phrase here, it, it, it's an analogy and uh, I said to somebody this morning, I said, uh, for anybody who doesn't like analogies and metaphors, they're going to have a bit of a, a seizure this morning because there's that many, you know, probably being used and so sort of get your head around uh, metaphors. But um, I'm going to sort of talk about the analogy of the ocean and the wave and see how we can see how we can apply that a little bit to our lives. So, you know, I was raised in a very religious family uh, where the emphasis was on the personal rather than the impersonal. You could say, you know, the individual rather than the universal. And uh, I know many years ago we read a, a book by 
Rob Bell who introduced us to the idea that it wasn't either or, it could be both and. And I think that revolutionised a lot of us as we read that because it was a new idea that things could be both and rather either or. And, um, you know, the purpose of religions is to keep us seeking for something, that elusive day when suddenly all will be well, you know, we'll have got our act together. And we kept hooked on there being a future state uh, of enlightenment when I finally get there. And of course, it has to be because it would put uh, the, 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 the mouth of business. And we said many years ago that the road that we had taken at Kew was very much bad for business. Now you say, well, church shouldn't be a business, but it sort of is in a, in a sense. And we haven't gone the way that is good for business because what we've tried to do is give people back that right to be okay. And if you're okay, well, you're okay. So anyway, um, uh, you know, what Joel's already mentioned it, but you see, if we uh, create the individual as a problem, and the, the reason why the individual's a problem, because there's this self within them that's sort of got a, a, an attachment to something pretty evil, and it must die then, you know, and we have to get rid of that someone inside and almost become a no one uh, and annihilate the flesh. Somehow, if we could do all that, then we'd meet God. Well, think about it. What an what unforgiving and thankless task that is. It's a treadmill that never, never, ever ends. And so I recognize that for many years of trying to live out that idea, something snapped in me and said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that anymore. And I came across an article just recently that talked about uh, what, was, what he called the exhausted seeker. And I thought, oh, that was me. I'm an exhausted seeker. And um, when we do, what do we do when life, which is impersonal in a sense, because it's the big picture of life, um, and my life, which is personal to me, when they meet, when they, where, where they intersect, you know, when the rubber hits the road and those personal beliefs that I have held very tightly are too small to fit what's going on in my life, what do you do then? And um, it's like there's a fine print that stops you getting where, where you need to be. And uh, you find that the, the, the truth which you was told was the only truth doesn't offer you much hope, and it certainly doesn't offer you a lot of joy. And uh, so this is, um, you know, something that, you know, I had to grapple with in my own life. And I suppose um, uh, it was time for a pendulum uh, swing. Now, Often it's not always a good idea because, like Joel said, you swing your pendulum from here <laughs> and it ends up over here. And you, you're doing exactly the same thing, but just at a different extreme. And that's why I liked a while back we talked about the middle way. And it was so helpful to me to recognize that extremes are always the problem. And if we can just find that middle way, and I always feel that that's like when I feel that I am inviting the spirit 
into a situation that I'm not just deciding what's right or wrong from those two perspectives, but actually saying, let's invite something else in uh, to, to have a, a wider perspective. I, I shouldn't have gone down that alley, but it was just to help you anyway. Um, so I was ready for a pendulum spring, uh, swing, and I probably went so far into the universal that I left the person. I thought, you know, that's it for me. But anyway, I'll get around to that in a minute. But Richard Rower in his book, The Universal Christ, and anybody who wants a good read, he's a, he's a Catholic uh, Franciscan monk, so he's coming at it from a totally different angle, which we love at Q, because we like to have people's uh, differing views. He, he puts it like this in his book, The Universal Crisis, well worth a read. He says, we focused on a personal relationship with Jesus at the expense of understanding the universal Christ. A merely personal God becomes tribal and sentimental, and a merely universal God never leaves the realm of the abstract theory and philosophical principles. But when we put them together, we find a God who is both personal and universal. Jesus connects us with our time-bound and personal level of life. Without Jesus, the scale of our deep humanity is just too much for our minds to handle. But without the Christ, the universal, we miss out on the why of God, which is to reveal himself in all that he has made. Whoa, isn't that just fantastic? So getting lost in the impersonal was where the freedom lay for me. <laughs> I thought, great, get away from the personal. Let's get lost in the impersonal. There's great comfort in that space for the exhausted seeker. Because in that state of oneness, there's no me anymore. There's no you anymore. There's just the collective that I can sort of hide in. And the, the, the focus and the heat is not on me anymore. Yay! Can you see? Pendulum swing. And some of you will have known that I've, I did that for quite a while. So, and it takes me a while to come back to the middle because I'm a bit of a crazy absolutist, uh, which probably you know as well, but I'm just being really honest about this, and this is our journey, isn't it? So here we go, the analogy of the ocean and the wave. See, the wave can see itself as separate while it's already a perfect expression of the ocean, and that's what we tend to do. We think, who am I? What am I doing? What's going on? And it feels separate while it's already a perfect expression of the ocean. It was from the beginning. And while the ocean expresses itself as seemingly different waves, one expressed as many. In reality, the many are not separated from the one. So the wave is not distinct from the ocean. While the wave stands out for a while... Now, let me just talk about this for a second. Do you know that the word exists? Do you know what it actually means? I mean, I love when you look at the etymology of words. Not very good at that either. Um, it means to emerge, to appear, to stand out. But you see, while the wave stands out for a while, it goes back into the hole. And the wave will always just be water. Do you get it? Oh, 
this is great, I love this. So I can stand out my individual wave only to find for a little while I stand out, but then I go back into the ocean because all I will ever be is water. But guess what? So is the ocean. Oh, I like this. This is nice for me. I love it. So anyway, the wave never left the ocean any more than you have ever been separated from God. Isn't that a lovely thought? So listen, it's already been said, and I always think, Danny, sure, you're stealing my words. Where are you? He said, we often ask, where is God? This is like a fish asking, where is the ocean? The fish is born in it, therefore cannot see it. And God will always be beyond comprehension in the same way the wave will never understand the ocean because it already is the ocean. So here's the question. Can a wave claim to transcend the ocean? See, because in some streams of thought, it's about transcending. It's about going beyond. It's about being above. So the question is, can a wave claim to, to have transcended the ocean? No, they ebb and flow back into the source from which they came. The personal and the impersonal, individual and universal, operating together as one. Now, is this what Jesus meant when he said, I and the Father are one? Now, there's a saying that we all have, and I, I don't know whether it's used as popular anymore, but it used to be, don't make waves yeah? Recognize it? Oh, are you making waves? Don't make waves. Stop it. You make, you know. This usually meant don't cause a disturbance or turbulence in the water. Stay out of trouble. Now, when Joel was talking about the Enneagram, you can think how waves collide. <laughs> that's, I think that's the reason why we get together uh, in community, to let our waves collide. If you're by yourself, you're not going to do much colliding and therefore you're never going to learn much about yourself and life. And sometimes that's what causes the, the, the trouble. We don't like to collide, but we better learn how to collide nicely and go back into the ocean. And then, of course, you can talk so much about the different sort of waves that we don't like. We don't like tidal waves. They come on a bit strong and, uh, you know, you can get caught Oh, what about the tsunami? Oh my goodness, we can't call them any good. Maybe that's when the, 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 the lots of waves have got together and they've got a bit of an attitude and they're wanting to make their point and they say, get out my way, I'm coming. I don't know. But there's little waves that lap up on the shore that kids will sit in for hours and just let the water roll and they have such fun. But you just see my point, all the different expressions, but the many are still the one. But anyway, was Jesus then just another wave that existed, stood out in time, who showed us there was no separation between the personal and the impersonal? Now, I like a, a guy called Alan Watts. He was a sort of child of the 60s, but he had some incredible things to say way before his time. He said this, when we pedestalize Jesus which I've sort of put in brackets, individual over the universal. He said this, we strangle the gospel 
at birth. Now, they are some fantastic words. We strangle the gospel at birth. What he's sort of saying here is if Jesus was the only son of God, then you pass off an emasculated, now I'll help you with words, emasculated means made weaker or less effective. So we pass off an emasculated gospel. It becomes a shadow of what it was truly meant to be. So here's the question. Is this then the really good news of the gospel that Jesus was a powerful wave who came to open our eyes to the truth of who we really are, just more powerful waves in the mighty ocean, which are many, but are one. So we are all manifestations of the divine. A mystic is one who realizes, makes real, union with God. Jesus prayed that we might be one as he was one with the Father. This is the gospel that has been perpetually repressed. Christianity has institutionalized guilt and separation as a virtue, constantly making us aware of the great abyss that is between us and God, and it has suffocated our joy. And maybe that's why in our society at the moment there's a great pushback for individuality, because when you've been told all your life, no, you can't be this, or you have to crucify that, then there's going to be a giant push to say, you're not going to tell me no anymore. So the volcano finally erupts with a very loud no back and says, I'm going to be who I believe I am. You see, I'm not trying to find my way back to the ocean anymore. And I am no longer that exhausted seeker because I am what I was seeking. So let me just finish with this. Where does service to others fit in all this? Well, first of all, I don't try and divide my life into groups anymore, mainly because I realized when I thought I was serving myself uh, or, or I, I was just really serving an inst- Institution, and I know this is a bit confusing. How do I know when I'm serving God or whether I'm serving myself or whether I'm serving the institution? And it really gets quite weird. I mean, I'll be just absolutely honest that my coming to church in my head was serving God. Is it? I, you know, it might be, but it also might not be. You, you, you know, I can be a pew filler. You can go to a, a, be a football watch and go to the stadium once, but doesn't really make you a supporter, does it? Are you, see what I mean? Anyway, I know that that's a bit of a conversation to be had, but who decides, you know, what is done as me, because I, many people used to say, oh, but you've done that in the flesh. Well, really, I'm, I'm really confused now. You know, you, you, well, I thought I was doing it for God. Oh, well, no, because it was really you. Oh, my. Come on, how many times have we heard that? And it, it sends you back to the blooming drawing board and you think well what is this all about so uh, yeah and then I've put here is there such thing as an altruist and I, uh, Joel mentioned it this morning because we can all say we're doing it for the good of others but who are we and you get so confusing so you know what I like about this is that this is how Jesus handled it now this helps Jesus said in so much as you did it to the least 
You did it unto me. Now just think about that for a minute. Is this an understanding of Jesus seeing himself as an individual wave, but also part of the whole? So as I serve you, I serve God, but I cannot be separated from the whole. So then I am also serving myself. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that. So in, in just absolute closing now, let us live wholesome, joyful existences, meaning standing outnesses and going back into the the, the, the ocean, but standing out a bit again and going back into the hole because we dance and play as a wave while knowing ourselves all the time without contradiction as the ocean. Herein lies our joy. Okay. Hope you've had um, a great morning. We are coming to a close now. Just a huge thank you to Joel and to Chris. Um, yeah, let's give them a round of applause. That's amazing. Um, I know um, I was, I, I'm going to tell you my five takeaways, but I have to say that I think I could have had 25 and I think I will listen to it again and probably have a different five. But these are my five takeaways, just as an example for you of what you may have heard or you may have heard different things to me. The first thing I heard was um, friendship, cooperation and human resilience. Um, human beings are, we are amazing. Human beings are absolutely amazing. Um, and I think if when we're generous interpreters of people, we bring out the best in ourselves and in others. So don't be that tsunami tidal wave. Be a generous wave in the ocean where you play your part. Which leads me to my second takeaway where I had to sit and ask myself, what sort of drop or wave am I in the ocean? If I'm in the ocean, I'm already part of it. And um, what do I bring when I bring my, my part? Um, and I, I, I don't want to be a tidal wave. I want to be the lapping on the shore or occasionally a cracking wave that a brilliant surfer can ride and enjoy. Um, have I swapped, my third one was, have I swapped one dogma for another? I thought that was fantastic, what um, Joel said. Um, those of us who have been very dogmatic in our lives, and I have been, we are the ones at greatest risk of simply swapping one for another. So if you have in any way been fundamental in your life around religion or anything else, just be mindful of that you don't just swap out one thing because there was a reason why we loved it because it was doing something for us. So be careful you don't just replace it. And um, fourth, I've only got five. The, I remembered, do you remember when we used to talk about how we are unique expressions of God in the earth? Claire's business is called Unique Expressions, isn't it? Is it still called that? Oh no. Claire's business was called Unique Expressions. And um, when uh, we are unique expressions, that was said again uh, this morning because uh, God reveals Himself in all that He has made. So, with the same but unique, it's not either or, it's and. Um, it's both, per- and finally, when Chris talked about the personal and universal, and how she said she's no longer seeking the ocean because she's found that I am what I was seeking, not an exhausted seeker. And I just thought, me too, me too, um, because we're no longer now Jesus first, others second, yourself last, but Jesus, others, and yourself as part of that same ocean, all wonderful expressions. So, I hope you've enjoyed and found some joy in this morning. Do, do encourage you to listen to these 
messages back because apparently you cannot hear something once. You have to hear it three times before you hear it. So we probably should start listening to lots of things three times to digest them fully and find the joy in it all. But it's now time for refreshments and time for us to be an ocean drinking tea, coffee and eating biscuits. So enjoy that. And thank you again um, for being here and thank you to you both. Don't forget next week, Jubilee, four till six. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>